Welcome to episode 116 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers Podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and I'm joined today, as always, by JP Breen and Ryan Topp. And we had a lot of technical difficulties just trying to get this thing up and going today. Yeah, I think we're being punished for enjoying the Badgers win over Marquette. That's what I'm going to go with. Like, the universe wants to punish us. It was, JP, it was kind of a good weekend for Wisconsin sports, right? Yeah, it was It was a lot of fun. Well, the Marquette game was a lot of fun. I think the Nebraska game felt a little bit like punishment I at mean, the same time. I think they the won Mar- by 16 on the road. The like, Marquette game was a reward Nebraska. for sitting through the Nebraska game. I was going to say, Nebraska's, Nebraska got like 500 yards of total offense. Yeah, they did. It's true. It was brutal to watch. Yeah, but you know what? Shouts to Dan Walsh. Um, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful weekend. Thank you. We enjoyed it mostly. Just, yeah, taking one on the chin all week for Dan. For Dan. That's a tough one. But it was brutal. I mean, you're watching Nebraska, like, gash the uh, Wisconsin defense all night long or afternoon long. Yeah, I mean, or, but then they couldn't score in the red zone so it doesn't matter the the whole bend but don't break yes i remember it was in vogue with like the dan mccartney defenses of the early 90s but well and fritz Shermer. wow yeah the fritz Shermer defenses were that way too they really were like and, I, and and the point wasn't that they didn't win by a reasonable amount or that it wasn't ultimately a good win the point was that it really sucked to watch yeah i mean like that enjoyable game to watch yeah martinez is you know, pretty decent quarterback as far as no, he's the not. Ball goes. No, as far as running all, the ball. Oh, goes. sure, fine. Not at, throwing the ball. No, which is kind of a thing that quarterbacks should do. Well, not at Nebraska. They have a tradition of quarterbacks who can't throw the ball. Like that's that's yeah. been a long time though since they like legitimately had like no, great quarterbacks. No, 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 great quarterbacks. Who well, Tommy Frazier could run the ball. Tommy Frazier played like twenty years ago. It, more than yeah. So yeah, not Tommy Frazier anymore. You got to kind of throw the ball, maybe a little bit. Bill Callahan totally wiped out the whole Nebraska quarterbacks are great and just run. I mean, the Frank Solich thing was what did them in. Like, they fired Frank Solich, and they've been paying for it ever since. But we're not a college football podcast, right? We're not. What what uh, trophy did they play for this weekend? The Freedom Trophy. Did they? Yeah. I didn't realize that Michigan and Michigan State played for some, like, cheesy Paul Bunyan trophy. Oh, but that's old. Like that—that that isn't cheesy. That's like that's I like un- eighty years old. I understand that, but I had never seen it before. I'd never really paid attention to Michigan and Michigan State matchups. And Michigan's kind of like Minnesota. Michigan has a, a matchup for everything. Like they have a trophy for every game. Yes. because they also have like the old oaken bucket. Or yeah. no, that's not them. They're the whatever the thing with uh, Minnesota. Doesn't somebody play like for a pig barrel or something like that with Iowa? There's, Isn't that Iowa? That's Iowa and Minnesota. They play for Floyd of Rosedale, which is a literal like golden pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, like a pig barrel or something. They play for the pig barrel, the, the pig's say, anus it, trophy. I was gonna say it's not that like the Badgers don't play against Iowa for the what the Heartland, which is just a big steer. Oh, it's it's all terrible. There's only like well, three on. good. That's trophies. why I was getting back to Michigan, Michigan state play for this like stupid ass Paul Bunyan trophy. And I'm like, the ax exists. Like, just stop. Don't play for that because <laughs> whatever you have sucks in comparison to winning the ax. Yes. Between Wisconsin and Minnesota, no matter what you think of the, the matchup between Wisconsin and Minnesota, which this year is actually going to be like, I think everybody's going to white knuckle it in both States. Um, that axe is an awesome trophy. 
the axe is an awesome trophy and it's also a deadly weapon it is exactly so you know screw those guys their little paul bunyan figurine sucks yeah which in the hand of a cleveland brown could be really really harmful so when we were recording on <laughs> on thursday night are you trying to be topical well no when we were recording on thursday night our podcast at the end was a little hitchy because like I stopped paying attention to what JP was saying briefly there for a second because I was watching Miles Garrett swing his helmet at uh Mason Rudolph. So like at that like the the last like 2 minutes of it or something were I was just like what is even happening on my TV screen right now. So I kind of missed the the last couple minutes of it. But we did and we should sell that too because uh, JP and I did go through the entire Brewers farm system and looked position by position and kind of identified where their strengths were, catcher, um, where some real holes were, first base, third base. What do they have now? Spanenberg or Span Spanenberger? Spanberger. Span Spanberger. This was your one chance to like hear about Spanberger, right? Right. We mentioned him. I think we name dropped him, right, JP? Like of course I think, we did. Yeah, I didn't even make any. I didn't even make any spam jokes. Right. So, like, we talked about that, and then we also talked about the upcoming Rule Five draft, which is probably going to be before the next episode. So, it is a thing that people will be able to look forward to. So, anyway, mm-hmm. let's get to it. Uh, Milwaukee's tailgate. Uh, you can help fans find this podcast by reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's tailgate on Twitter at MKE tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can follow the three of us on Twitter. JP is at ghost runner on second base. Ryan is at RD top and I'm at Steve Garshinsky. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast network, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE tailgate our ball and glove patrons and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast and the reporting is eligible weekly Packers podcast preview. And Paul just did the bye week one, which was all about the, uh, what was it? Week 17 in 1999. Oh, the famous week 17. Yeah. Yeah. Where everybody was basically just playing for points for the play in game. Yeah, so it was really, really bizarre. So you had, yeah, you had uh, the Packers uh, beating the Cardinals, but they had to beat them by a certain number of points, so they maintained their lead over Carolina. And then the Cowboys were also in that mix as well, and they played later. Yeah. and So there was this famous famous call on uh, NFL primetime where Berman was going through the highlights, basically going back and forth between the games, as you could see the players were, like, notified on – how many points they needed to maintain the lead. Packers went into the game with like an 18-point lead on Carolina, and they had to maintain that to hold the tiebreaker. Yeah, I want to say I was working during that, so I didn't actually see it live. I had to hear about it later. Like I probably went home and watched it on primetime on the rerun in the middle of the night. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, uh, you can get that, and then Paul actually has the link on there to the primetime call, so check that out. It was definitely a good time to listen to. So uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute Block Party and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. K4 will be releasing five barrel-aged beers just for Black Friday. If you're a lover of dark beers, Black Friday is just for you. Canned barrel-aged beers available to take home or consumption. What? Yeah, I don't know. That was that's their read though. Okay, they have a uh, brand. It's take, it's, it's take home for consumption. Yeah, uh, brandy ba silk scorpion black IPA cabernet. And I've had the the black scorpion, but not or the silk scorpion, 
but I've not had the brandy barrel aged, which sounds delicious. Brandy barrel aged is fairly rare and it's good. It's more of a Wisconsin thing. So they have the Cabernet BA Lady Luck Imperial Red, Sea Salt Bourbon BA Nutella Chocolate Hazelnut Stout, Bourbon BA Nutella Chocolate Hazelnut Stout, and the special tapping of their barrel aged Empirical Stout. No, uh, no, no. Empirical Stout. Oh, Stout. Rye Whiskey Russian Imperial Stout. Yep. That's 9.1% alcohol. It's, it's an Empirical Stout is the name of the beer. And are you, you going to explain this? Well, no, they, they have a whole read here about it. So every brewery has an empirical stout. They slip between fermenters with various cups and vials, sampling young beer as it makes its way through the brewery. They make sure that OG is an A, FG is a T, CC is an I, FVs are C, and VSBs are D. What? And, that, uh, and above all, that Q's JP, have did been you follow A'd. that? Oh, it's it's very very yeah. You got to go to the website to see this. If um, you drink all of if you drink all of these, you'll be effed in the A. <laughs> so I am definitely planning on going over to this. So if you go over on uh, Black Friday morning, because I'll be in Madison for Thanksgiving, I'm definitely heading over for this. So if you want to, uh, so say look, hi, I look will be for the, the guy line. with the extra large melon standing above everybody else, waiting for his beer. Yep. You're going to have like a half barrel on your shoulder? I'm, I'm seriously looking forward to the Empirical Stout, actually. That's big time. That looks really good. Yeah. So go check that out. Uh, Carbon 4 Brewery. It's on Kinsman Boulevard in Madison's East Side. Uh, as always, get 20% off of merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. Check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. Okay, Ryan, should we start out with your rant? I have grievances to air. If you listen, if you listened last week, you'd know that Ryan was going to be upset if Craig Council did not win Manager of the Year, and, and he didn't. And Craig Council did not win Manager of the Year. Mm-hmm. So, do you, do you just want to take over and, and shout for like ten minutes? I think that's how tr- traditional radio shows go, right? Right. Just be really angry. The, so the angry white man gets to, to yell for ten minutes, and so, then they go to a commercial break. So Mike Schilt is not fit to be. Craig Council's pet, let alone win like a manager of the year Craig award over, over him. Yeah, he, no, he's not. Yeah. Mike Schilt, he was so bad in the playoffs. I've never seen like a manager just be so bad in the. Now, the remember, that that this, is, this is a regular season award. JP, regular season award, yes. correct? <laughs> he's just <laughs> nodding because he doesn't give a shit about this at all. So, anyway, it was an abomination that Mike Schilt won the award. And it really came down to the fact that Craig Council did have more first place votes. He had 13 first place votes to Schilt's 10, but where Schilt caught up to him was uh, 14 second place votes to six for council. And council was completely left off of six ballots where Schilt was only left off of three. And if you look at the ballots that Schilt or that council was left off of, one was a uh, St. Louis ballot. One was a Chicago ballot. Three of them, they simply took the the three division winners and put them in some order. Um, and so you could kind of say, okay, that's the division winner effect on that. Three of them, they had randos in there like Dave Roberts and Tori Lovello and just stuff completely out of the blue. Wait, so do you think that the uh, Chicago writer left uh, council off because of the help he was getting from uh, getting calls from left field? What was it? The, the bullpen? 
Yeah, the semaphore, whatever they're doing. Yeah, weren't the Brewers like calling in pitches and stuff like that to batters? Yeah, that's that's the accusation. I'm going to go ahead and believe that that is why they were left off and that it was not something more stupid like they just didn't want to vote for division non-division winners. Uh, but the whole thing was just kind of silly and ridiculous. And Mike Schultz is not a great manager. He's not. And Craig Council is a very, very good manager. JP, have you lost a lot of sleep over Craig Council not winning manager of the year? No, I think last time I thought the award had already been had already been given and I wasn't even sure like when it was. Um, and I, and last week when we were going through what the, the, uh, the manager of the year was going to be, I said that they weren't going to give it to a non-division manager and, or non-division winning manager. I got the wrong one, but yeah, it's not surprising. I mean, I, I think that is part of it. I think the bigger factor is just that you had some writers just leave them off their ballot for no apparent reason. And, I don't know if it's just why, like why would why would it be no apparent reason other than like a reason that you don't care about? Yeah, I, I maybe I should have gone and looked at those three writers who had like Tori Lovello or Dave Roberts or Martinez and and looked and examined deeper what their rationale was. I guess I didn't care that much. It's easier to just say it's easier to be angry. It is easier to be. angry, And I think it's there is definitely a reason to be angry about Craig Council not getting manager of the year. There's it's easy to do that in the grand scheme of things. I don't think it's going to matter much to anyone. Well, what was his comment? He said, yeah, I don't really care about that. The award that I care about winning is the one that Dave Martinez got to hold up at the end of the year. That's the award I care about. Isn't that what I isn't that what I said last week? Like if he won that they were going to talk to him and he was going to say, you know, this is a team award, and like bring in somebody else to to give the speech because he wouldn't really care about it. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. He says he doesn't care. He still should have won it. He's the best manager in the National League, and he should have won it. I think I think if Craig Council wins the award next year, he should bring in Ryan to give the talk. <laughs> yes, I would happily accept on his behalf. I think you could say Ryan should like hold him on his shoulders as he gives his <laughs> award speech. Oh, that's fine too. I just meant like, you know, it was what Ryan's was the... bigger than Craig Council, so I think he could actually cradle him like a child. <laughs> Well, no, I was just thinking, like, wasn't it, what was it, Burt Blylevin, like, ended up getting into the Hall of Fame? Getting it, it like, on the basis of, was it Jonah Carey, like, really pushing for him? Is no, that, no, no. Who, Jonah, Jonah pushed for Tim Raines. Burt Blylevin right. was sort of a different, there was a different guy who had been pushing for him for, like, his entire Jeez, talk about disgraced BP uh, writers. Mm hmm. But what, I'm, but what I'm saying is that Ryan could be that guy for Craig Council, that he could champion him so much for the NL manager of the year award that when he, Craig council actually wins it next year, it's basically, you know, Ryan's trophy. It should go to Ryan. I think he should, he should be able to place it on his mantle. You yeah, know, so. it'll and go Craig right next can, to my Craig council autographed baseball that I have on my, uh, well, it's on my bookshelf. Craig's just a couple miles north of you in Whitefish Bay. He can come down and visit the trophy whenever he wants. Well, I was briefly related to Craig Council, too. I, I never <laughs> mentioned this. related? How does that work? Well, so <laughs> he is the cousin of my brother's ex-wife. What? You, I don't think I ever told you this. Okay. Hold on. No, just stop. <laughs> don't, don't explain it. It's better with no explanation. <laughs> well, I did just explain it. <laughs> He's the cousin of my brother's ex-wife. So he used to go to like... They would see him at weddings and stuff. Oh, they would. Okay, mm -hmm. I was going to say... What's he your... saw him at weddings. So you have no relation. 
I no, I never met the man, but okay. I have a baseball from them because of it. <laughs> baseball. Uh, I have a Craig Council autographed baseball from my brother's ex-wife. It was a gift. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Congratulations. Yep. It's like you practically know the man. Yep. We're tight. <laughs> okay. Uh, among other things that was disappointing this week, Christian Christian Yelich was the uh, runner-up in the MVP to Cody, Cody Bellinger. Not a huge surprise. We knew there were going to be issues with uh, Yelich's injury um, as far as him being able to win the MVP. Well, and I think the thing with this one is Yelich was behind Bellinger when he got hurt. Bellinger was clearly the favorite still at that point. Bellinger had a rough September, but because Yelich had a non-September because he was hurt, he didn't get the chance to like go past him. If Yelich had had a good September, given the way Bellinger faded, he probably would have won the award. Yeah, JP, but, did, did Yelich even need a, a good September, or would the Brewers... Um I guess run in September that pushed him to the playoffs probably have done it if Yelich would have played the final was it three weeks of the season? Yeah, I think he went out around the eleventh. Yeah, I think Yelich probably would have won the award if he wouldn't have gotten hurt. I think the weird the weird thing for me though is that in the AL, Mike Trout did win despite getting hurt. Except even, he was like, well ahead of uh of Bregman and Bregman did a little bit of catch up in September. But like Yeah, I'm just, I'm just surprised. I I thought that like basically Yelich didn't have a shot because people were going to say, well, he was injured and he didn't play in September. Well, I mean, Yelich uh, is having a great run and he's like, Hey, maybe he's in the Mike Trout conversation now. I'm just saying Mike Trout is ridiculous. He should get the MVP every season. Yeah. I gotta, I, I gotta bring up something that I heard on effectively wild on the drive over here. They were talking about the fact that Mike Trout has won three MVPs. None of those were for his best three seasons he's had according to Fangraphs war. His best seasons were years he did not win the MVP. So, I mean, that's how good Mike Trout is. He's won three MVPs, and they were not his any of his three best seasons. Yeah, I don't know. Any thoughts, JP? We kind of no, I, interrupted you there. No, I think Mike Trout's still quite good. I was going to say um, that I think next year, rather than, like, you know, Yelich and Bellinger, I think probably Acuna is going to, be the favorite to win yeah Acuna had a great season this year and he's what 22 this year I think he'll be 22 this next year yeah he is he is ascendant in a way that yeah we really haven't seen somebody since Trout in in that way so yeah and he's locked up to a ridiculous contract so have fun with that well when you when you sign that young you're going to basically sign to a ridiculous contract and when you uh, and when you only make like four thousand dollars or whatever he made for his signing bonus, you're more than likely willing to uh, sacrifice your future earnings because you didn't make anything in the first place. Yep. And he was still a couple of years away from making more than league minimum, so he was going to have to put a couple of years in to do that. I understand why he did it. I never have blamed him or Ozzy Albies for doing what they did. The problem is the system that has been created that pushed them where that was like a rational ish thing to do. And also apparently their agents were concerned about potentially losing them as clients before they would have a chance to really cash in on them. So they pushed them to sign early too. That's also a big problem. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, Yelich obviously has got to be a front runner going into the next season with what he's done two years in a row now. So um, it'll be fun. And he's walking around without, uh, a brace apparently he's doing good health wise he's recovered they didn't need to amputate so i think he'll play in 2020 no he's not to a tug of a or whatever 
Yeah, Tua. Or they had to take his leg off at the hip or whatever it is. Well, yeah. I mean, they said he had the Bo Jackson injury, which, yeesh. Well, Bo Jackson had that injury 30 years ago. Yep. A little bit different. So, yep. anyways, uh, the the big uh, hubbub this week was the Astros sign, sign stealing scandal. Yeah, which, you know, this is not the first time this has come up. There was just more evidence this time. And you had a, a player, actually, former Brewer Mike Fires, was the one who went on the record with his name attached to it saying, yes, I was on that team and we were stealing signs. And that was Well, new. and it wasn't just stealing signs. It was a very, like, elaborate way of stealing signs using the cameras in the ballpark to and do it. It, well, it, was the, it was the mix of high-tech, low-tech that is gonna, sure. you know, amazing. Because, JP, I mean, how prevalent is sign stealing in baseball? Oh, I think it's pretty widespread. The interesting thing is like even with the Astros is the conversation that they were having basically saying some hitters don't even like it. Like they don't even if you are stealing signs, they don't actually want to know um, because not everybody is the same kind of hitter. Not everybody going with one pitch in their head is exactly what they want to be looking for. They just want to be able to react in a way that they've been reacting for years. Uh, and some hitters do like it. So. And again, it's one of those things that you do here that it's not really stein it's not really stealing the signs that makes people mad, right? Because I think a lot of people recognize that stealing signs has been a part of the game for, you know, however long the game has been going on. I mean, literally, it, we have evidence that the Indians in 48 were stealing signs all the way to a World Series title. The Giants in 51 were stealing signs, and they were doing this with somebody with a telescope sitting out in the outfield getting the signs and then radioing it down so that a signal could be given to the batter. I mean, this is, you know, more than 50 years ago, this was going on, but it's, it's the, it's the intent behind it. And it's the organizational, uh, attempt to be able to use technology. Right. I mean, that's the thing. It just feels egregious. Um, and like, I always just get not to get too far down into this, but it just it frustrates me beyond belief every single time that something like this happens that there is so much hand wring about the uh, hand wringing about this there are going to be big penalties that end up going with this there are going to be things that people talk about going into the next cba about this and like you know this captures everybody's imagination and anger so much more than like when the braves got caught uh with their you know organizational malfeasance down in in the Dominican Republic, this is worse than, you know, however many scandals that people have to be able to to stop, you know, like manipulating service time with with uh, Chris Bryant and all of those different things. And it's it's this thing that just gets people because, you know, it, it, things that feel unfair uh, and it is right. Like, I'm not saying that it's great to steal signs and obviously they should be punished if they were, they were going to do this, but like on the scale of things that are wrong that teams have done, um, this isn't, this isn't that big. Well, and it, again, it's more the issue of how they were doing it. And I think absolutely the it's, way they, it's they, the, they were using the tech in the stadiums to be able to do this. And it wasn't just like somebody basically looking for signs and then trying to signal it to the batters. Like they were right, going a little bit like, above and beyond that. But like there were the stories of the uh, well, they caught the, the Astro staffer down in the camera well with a phone like this isn't new. Everybody has known that this has been happening for however long. 
Like this is, it's just the fact that there is an actual player who went on and then there's been a lot of follow-up in which people have been going back to video and then looking at these things. And it's just the fact that it's egregious is what's pissing people off. Yeah. And I mean, it is interesting because, you know, if you're assuming most teams are doing this, what does it take for a player to step out and say, no, this team is stealing signs and they want to go on record and and say that because most teams if they're stealing signs you have to know players are not going to be with you for their entire careers so if they want to go and out you for stealing signs or anything like that they can easily do that and mike fires may have trouble finding a job now because of this because he's kind of a marginal big leaguer like a guy who can be useful but not you know any sort of a star and teams may not want to bring him in because they're worried well what is he gonna if we do something is he gonna inform on us so mike fires took a Con, you know, a career risk here, probably, to to go ahead and go on the record with this. And yeah, JP, do you think there's going to be a retaliation? No, I don't. I mean, if you if you've seen however many players have already gone on to this so aggressively and have been talking about how much they're not okay with this, and ultimately, I don't think it is. It is. It is an, an accumulation effect. It is the reason that this is gaining so much purchase is because it absolutely is because it's about the Astros and not about another organization. It is about an organizational culture that everybody is looking at, that this is another example of the Astros willing to bend or break any rule to be able to ignore a lot of uh, negative and, and toxic culture in their organization to win at all costs. And this is another piece of it. I think Mike Fires also just saw that like this is something that needed to be said because of the Astros organization as a whole. And it's not just about sign stealing or it's not just about one team doing one bad thing. And he's going to come out and says, say it, he's saying it for a very particular reason. And it is because of what so many people are thinking about this one organization. And I think a lot of people feeling like they're, they're tired of it to be frank. Yeah. So I know Kevin Goldstein, he was a former BP, BP uh, minor league writer, and he was then hired as the pro scout for um, uh, for the Astros, got dragged into this. He was one of the guys who they basically found an email from, basically yeah. saying, like, this is a way that we can basically... Well, he was soliciting his scouts because he was the head of the scouting yeah. department. He was soliciting his scouts for help doing this on the record in a way that, yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty dumb to begin with. You're leaving a record of, you know, well, shenanigans. I but also it's interesting that like they were using a pro scouting department basically to get this Intel ahead of time to use on other teams. This wasn't just kind of like when a team comes into town, we're going to try to figure out what the signs are. Oh no. A lot of times they were, they were doing it on like the third pitch of the game. They had it figured out well in, in advance and just checked to make sure that they were right. And then would they would come in and do it. So it wasn't even something they would pick up in that game. They knew ahead of time what was going to happen. And then just check to make sure they were still right and that the signs hadn't been changed. And then they went with it. So, yeah. Uh, so I was going to say, I think the, the part that the part that gets uh, the part that's interesting about this. And, and uh, just because you mentioned that Goldstein was was from BP and, and whatnot, um, I am a little bit nervous that uh, his name is attached to this now so he can be a fall person for an organizational decision and an organizational culture that actually tried to foster this um, in which they can now point to one person and one name and 
try to and if and if it comes down and and Goldstein has ended up punished punished for this, they can say, you know, they go, well, we solved the problem. You know, we took care of the bad egg who did this. Um, but the other thing, too, is I will say, you know, I've said multiple times across a lot of different platforms that uh, Goldstein has been wonderful for a lot of people uh, and a lot of writers in the game for a long time. He's been nothing but fantastic to me for a long period of time. And I notice that there are a lot of people online that are struggling with this, but it, you know, there, even people that are extremely respectful that you can respect for a lot of different ways. Kevin has more knowledge about baseball than I will, you know, than I have forgotten. And like, sometimes there are people that are ultimately very good people that make bad decisions about things. And I also know that this is a, a gray area and this is about the Astros living in that gray area again and again and again and again. And it's people getting tired of it. And again, I will say if it's another organization, no, nothing is coming down this hard. It's the fact that it is the Astros. Yeah. It is a public relations nightmare for the for Major League Baseball because it is coming out again and again that Major League Baseball swept this under the rug for a long time and they've known. I mean, let's be honest, Jeff Lunau came from the St. Louis Cardinals, thereby mm -hmm. do the transitive property. The St. Louis Cardinals are cheating in the same way, mm -hmm. and they should probably be contracted. As this a, is really a just another team. example of Cardinal Devil Magic. Yeah, really. it's the card. It all comes back to the Cardinals, and they're the team that should ultimately pay the price for all of this cheating that's going on because you know that they're well, doing and it. What I, I mean, and what I will say, too, is that. Uh, you know, Jason Hayward was on the Cardinals and then went to the Cubs. And I would have to imagine that that ended up moving up to Chicago as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it goes with whatever player, basically. Mm -hmm. So uh, Chicago's involved. St. Louis is involved. All of them are cheaters. And basically, they Could should all be punished accordingly. We should say, though, it was definitely not when uh, when Kyle Loesch came to Milwaukee, though. Or Jeff Supon. Clearly, he he didn't help out at all. So. <laughs> or Braden Looper. <laughs> I think Braden Looper was a plant. I think the Cardinals planted him on the Brewers for uh, that specific reason. The second coming of Ray King just to give back. Up, <laughs> just give up dingers to screw the Brewers. So, uh, Anyways, we do have a question from SoCal uh, Brew Crew fan. He asks, if the Astros are found guilty on all counts, because apparently this is in a court of law, uh, what is the punishment? Yeah, as JP was saying, this was what I was waiting for to make this point, was I think, yeah, the Astros are absolutely going to get hammered harder than anybody else would have because of everything else that's happened. I was actually, the joke well, has been how around. much of this, hold on, how much of this, I mean, the Astros obviously have lived in the gray area, as, as you pointed out, but also how much of this is just the Astros were also a team that uh, proudly tanked to get to the point where they're at? And Major League Baseball doesn't like that. Like, how much did that, you know, basically grind on baseball as well? Well, they engendered a lot of bad feelings from it, right? Like, that all started, like, a lot of bad feelings. And it actually created a culture within the Astros, I think, that we're seeing now where they kind of had a bunker mentality. Like, it's us against the world, right? Like, it's that's why you saw that weird PR statement that came out right after where they were totally defensive and went on the attack and ended up having to take it all back and apologize for it. The, the joke that people have been making is that, you know, wait, you're going to find out that all this stuff came from Brandon Taubman, who's already been fired, so he can be the fall guy, you know, in retrospect for the whole thing. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think JP's point is well-founded that I do think they could end up putting somebody uh, up as a fall guy. 
And if they are not careful, um, Lunau could find himself. I think he has moved into the position where if, if he did the wrong things in some of these instances, if he got his fingers on like trying to meddle with MLB investigations or whatever, the precedent now exists that look what happened to John Coppolella in, in Atlanta. He got a lifetime ban from working in the sport for some very shady doings down in, in uh, Latin America in terms of signing players. But this was stuff that other teams were doing too. And they sometimes, even like the Red Sox, they lost players for doing it. But they didn't get lifetime bans from baseball. They got He got the lifetime ban because he tried to cover up and he lied to MLB. So if Lunau has done some of that, I would not be surprised to see Jeff Lunau or somebody else in the Astros organization take a lifetime ban for this because MLB has that precedent now that they can drop the hammer on somebody that they think has really done something bad. And we'll see where this goes and what kind of evidence they have and frankly what they want to do with it. Do they want to, to give a lifetime ban to try to rein in this sort of thing? Maybe, maybe that's what they want to do. And that, you know, clears up several issues for them. It gives punishment to the Astros for this and for the other things. And so quite possibly that could be where this heads is to a lifetime ban. I have, I have no idea what the, the punishment will be. I have no idea what I think it should be. Um, I'm not, I'm not great with those things. Uh, I don't know what, what I think should happen with it. Um, but what I will say is that ultimately uh, this is going to be a PR decision for major league baseball. Uh, they are going to do what they need to do to make themselves look uh, like they handled it in a way that was responsible that, and I think it will be pretty heavy because I think that they will be extremely, uh, they will be, they will be judged by a lot of people for how they handle things. And it, again, it is because it is the Astros. And I think it is also going to be because uh, MLB has skirted around this issue with the Astros very particularly for quite a long time. And I think major league baseball will make a statement because, you know, ultimately they need to save base. Yeah, so the fun of all of this is the Brewers did eventually get tied to the scandal. Uh, initially, it was by a St. Louis beat writer, Jeff Jones. Mm -hmm. Is that where it first came from? I saw the tweet. Yeah, it was shortly after the Astros news broke is when I first saw this tweet. Okay, he said, Houston is one of three teams I've had multiple players identify. To me, it's the most egregious with electronic sign stealing. The others are Milwaukee and Texas. So, obviously, Milwaukee has, well, the Brewers have been tied to sign stealing for a while. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that that's not a surprise. You have Brandon McCarthy responded with an LOL tweet. Mm -hmm. And he responded to that with an LOL. And it wasn't clear because then the writer said, you're telling me. And there was no further conversation. I wonder if it went to DMs at that point. But I was curious as to what that meant. Brandon, but Brandon McCarthy, Brandon McCarthy pitched with Texas. Yes. So I would, well, he I would also pitched with Texas a very long time ago, right? Well, I, it doesn't say like it was last year. Yeah, I don't think they just start start cheating in the past season. Yeah, the, the McCarthy LOL was very interesting because it could mean a lot of different things. It could mean... Okay, well, let's not read too much into yeah. that. Uh, the other fun of it came when uh, Bleacher Nation, our favorite Cubs blog, decided to, uh, I guess, gin up the dust up between everybody and and try to point out in, in video... He wanted, he wanted to go viral. Yeah, he wanted to go viral, and he got it accomplished by dragging you Darvish into this, by by pointing out one single at bat where he said that Christian Yelich's eyes darted 
to what was it left center field? Yeah, which was interesting because then when you watch the video, it was like I don't even know where his eyes looked. It might have been in right center field. So it was I don't left think, into the back. Yeah, it it was I mean, it was Zap Ruder film level like dissection of a video that you could barely tell what was going on, saying that the like, Brewers are are stealing signs. To be fair, though, what what he was doing was he was taking an actual comment from an article that Darvish said he saw something weird going on that game, and then they went and actually looked for video in that one game. Sure. Yeah, but then he goes and and tries in the flimsiest of evidence to like then yeah. pin that as here is definitive evidence that the Brewers were somehow stealing signs in a way that well, there have been videos of the Astros doing it and it was really pretty definitive and you can really see it. This was well, laughable. They had, they had what audio from the the ballpark where you could hear how they were like sending the signs. Well, they're banging on trash cans. Yeah, yeah, in Houston. Well, yeah, I was gonna say they did a bunch of things where. You could see, you could actually hear it with either whistling or trash cans. And then Rob Arthur at BP did a lot of like background work actually on audio of games where you could, you could pick up audio signals for it. And he could actually show that there was a difference between all of these things in the home games right before breaking, breaking pitches and off speed pitches. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there was a lot of pretty definitive evidence that all of this was happening. So it was interesting that Darvish got pulled into this. He, you know, thought that there was some something going on uh, and was tagged on Twitter on it. Yelich basically hit him with do you have well, it on here? Yeah, I do. Hold on though. We should give a shout out because I think he listens to the podcast. The person who actually retweeted and talked to uh, that Darvish responded to, Spencer Michaelis, I'm pretty sure is a listener. So shout out to you, Spencer, for getting this all going because you are the one who brought this all upon us. Yeah, Darvish said, I'm not sure what he, what he was trying to do regarding talking about Yelich. Uh, but to be clear, his eyes move first. That's why I step off. Yelich responded with, be better than this. Nobody needs help facing you. And that was a pretty sick burn on Twitter. Like, that I, it, I was going to say, don't get me wrong. I really enjoy trash talking on Twitter. I think baseball could use more of it. Um, I... I genuinely felt bad for you, Darvish, because he at like multiple times prior to this even happening, he was saying, I'm not accusing anybody of doing anything. He was like, I was just saying when because, you know, Bleacher Nation did it. And, and that's what's interesting of- about this is Bleacher Nation dragged Darvish into this. And then Darvish yeah. is the one that got roasted online. Absolutely. And then Darvish like actually responded afterwards. He's like, I'm not even trying to say anything. Well, and Josh Donaldson did respond to Christian Yelich's tweet by saying something to the effect of. Uh, what was it? It was like, oh, I could use help against him. What do you know? <laughs> was what he was asking. Something Yelich. like that, yeah. Yeah, it was something like that. So, I mean, people did support Darvish, and he did back off of it fairly fast, even maybe ahead of time. Like, he backed, Darvish off, backed, off, of it. Darvish backed off of the insinuation, but it was still... Darvish was, Darvish was never on the insinuation. He was just trying to say, I, th- I'm explaining why I backed off. I'm not accusing anyone of anything. And then everyone was basically the only reason that there was any insinuation whatsoever was because Bleacher Nation put it out in the first place. Yeah, which is a good example of why, like, hey, don't take game footage and try to, like, turn that into some kind of proof of what's going on in a game. Because those broadcasts are not designed to catch everything that's happening in the stadium at any time. It's just irresponsible. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, like, don't be a dick. Yeah, you're, you're screwing your own 
players. The the guys you're cheering for, you're making them look like assholes by doing this. But it was really fun because it was, it was an amazing burn. Yeah, Yelich, you know what? Anytime Yelich wants to burn any of the Cubs, like go for it, dude. Do it as public as possible because I am there for every single one of those. And you can do it to the Cardinals as well. We don't like the Reds particularly, so do it to them. Screw the Pirates, too. Yeah, and the Pirates, you know, they suck as well. So uh, even with their new GM, JP, so the Pirates made a big move in their front office this uh, past week. They hired Ben Charrington as their new GM. Um, How do you think that's going to impact the division? Because Charrington was an up-and-comer when he was with the Red Sox and then unceremoniously was just tossed aside when they didn't think he was winning enough after, what was he there, three seasons, four seasons? Yeah, he took over after Theo, and I think he got fired after 14. So. Yeah, it wasn't for very long. So what do you think the impact is bringing Charrington into the division? It'll be interesting. I mean, Charrington, yeah, he was an up-and-comer for a long time, and he actually built a, a good framework, like a good foundation for Boston that Dave Dombrowski was able to come in and kind of, you know, uh, take them to a World Series, I suppose. But I think ultimately... I don't think it's going to matter all that much as long as the people above Charrington are still there in, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, but as long as they're not spending money. But Charrington did a good job of building the farm system in Boston. Like, he can build a farm yeah. system for I a mean, team. he did, but also remember, he was dealing with an infrastructure that Theo had put in place for 10 years, basically before he took over. So he got to take advantage of a good infrastructure. Now, the Pirates have some infrastructure there. Like, it's not... It's not a complete. I was going to say they've situation. they've definitely built good farm systems in Pittsburgh. They have had some success yeah. with that, so he he has that going for him, right? But I was going to say I don't think that I think Pittsburgh has uh, their their problem has not been the farm system uh, throughout their time. I I also think that Boston had better international frameworks in place too, where they could go get uh, some of their big international players. That I don't really remember pittsburgh being big players in the international market so it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing there i mean they almost got miguel sano but that that was all profiled in uh pelotero but like they almost did that they did have gregory polanco and um sterling Marte. like they they brought some guys through their system from latin america they definitely did well, naming a couple guys isn't exactly like proof that their system though is in place. And those guys have been I mean, those guys would have been signed now seven, eight, nine years ago. Sure. So it's well in the past. So it was interesting. Matt Arnold, uh assistant general manager. Is that the mm-hmm. uh, title? He's uh, number two in Milwaukee. Yeah. Was uh one of the final candidates for the GM job in Pittsburgh. Um how long do you think Arnold's going to be around in Milwaukee, JP? I mean, because his name's come up a few times for GM openings. Yeah, I I would say if he doesn't get a job this this upcoming offseason, probably next offseason. I think he could be a great great candidate for somebody like, you know, if San Diego end up moving on from Preller because they're not able to finally get to the postseason this upcoming year. I think he could be a good option there. He could be a good option in a lot of different places that are going going to start looking for GMs and want somebody with the kind of pedigree that that Arnold has back from when he was with the Rays. And obviously for a lot of teams that don't feel like they can come in and just poach david stearns they want the next best next best thing i'm not sure how many gm openings we're going to have it's things have stabilized a little bit and owners aren't as quick to just fire people you have you know these latest moves you have the weirdness in boston and that's not a job that like matt arnold would get because they're going to look for somebody who's actually run a baseball ops department before 
And the other big move this winter was obviously Pittsburgh. And that was a weird situation because Huntington got fired more for just the organizational collapse than he did for what he necessarily did on the field and all that. So what, what they did in terms of, of team building. So it, it's interesting. I think you have very few organizations at this point that have like regressive front offices. In fact, it really, I mean, who's the most regressive front office at this point? Detroit, maybe where they, they don't have, they, they still have more baseball people quote unquote in charge than they have, you know, the, the new generation sort of, of, of front office types around. So there just aren't a lot of places for it. So you would wonder, and maybe Matt Arnold would be a candidate if they decided to move on from, uh, who is it, Alavila in Detroit. But I don't know how many positions are going to come available. So it's it's interesting. There's I, was, I, I wrote about it this week for, for BP. And yeah, I mean, front offices across baseball are getting much better. And also what is expected of a GM has changed. And it's not about winning. Yeah, it is very much about making sure your profit margins are there and that your your long-term outlook is good, more so than winning games this season. And I mean, to be fair, I also think that firing a GM because you didn't win one season is stupid. So uh, there's a, there is a balance, right? Because anytime you're you're talking about a GM position, judging anything on one season's production is not a very intelligent thing. Just like moving on from a manager just because you didn't like what happened one season it's a little bit bigger than that. And you need to have more kind of a, a holistic approach in terms of what you actually don't like about what the GM is doing in, in the front office in terms of player development, in terms of a long-term idea. And it's the same thing that you see across uh, all these different sports now. And it's teams are putting in long-term plans and they are starting to understand that what happens in any given season is so rife with luck that blaming anybody outside of like, you know, your hitting coach because you didn't like what, you know, you needed to can somebody for that. Um, you know, you very rarely see the ones higher up now just get canned because you don't like what's happening on the field. Uh, you, you do see it kind of like in middle management now, I guess. Okay, so the Brewers did make a move this week. They claimed right-hander Yer Eric Yardley, Yerick. <laughs> Eric Yardley uh, from the Padres off of waivers. Uh, he's a submariner. Uh, the 40 man's now at 33 because they still have a lot of space on that 40 man. They do. Um, do you expect him to stay on the 40 man through opening day, JP? That's uh, that's that's tough to say. I would say yes. Okay, um, or are you just more excited that he's a submariner? Oh, I'm just way more excited that he's a submariner. He, like, we haven't had a submariner since 2016 with Ben Rowan. He only pitched, like, three innings, which was absolute bullshit. He should have been up for longer. And I think that every organization should have a submariner in the bullpen in some respect. Um, I think we should call them submariners, personally. I, I did write it that way. Yeah. Oh, I oh just, sure. I figured. <laughs> I, well that's, like, that's just like saying somebody on you know seattle's just like not good enough to be on seattle um but yeah i think yardley, sub replacement I mean, on seattle is a submariner yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> um but you have a you have somebody in yardley like outside of just being fun he's he's a dude who is going to get a ton of ground balls it's going to be an absolute nightmare against righties has shown that he can actually you know throw strikes 
but you're hoping that, you know, if you get lucky, he can be a Joe Smith kind of guy, but Eric Yardley profiles exactly in the same way. And what the Brewers like to do with their, with their relievers, if they cannot go and get somebody that's absolutely dominant for a couple of innings, they want something weird. They want, uh, they want a, a different, you know, arm slot. They want to just be able to bring really weird things and try to optimize it out of the bullpen. Now we have and new, so- we have new rules next season and he's going to have to face more than like one batter before they can make a move on it's what minimum of three. We still don't know. They have not committed to this idea of the three batter rule. It's still up in the air because the union hasn't approved. MLB says we have the right to unilaterally do it. But MLB has not done it yet. So okay. there's still stuff up in the air. Regardless, is he useful if he has to go three batters in a row? I think so. I mean, he's more useful than your standard Lugie or something like that, especially if you are dealing with the strong side of the platoon. Is he better than Claudio? Well, I don't know. I mean, Claudio was actually pretty decent last year. But everybody hated him. So Well, I know. I said that <laughs> I said that yesterday in our in our DM that he's basically like Jack Cohn, right? Like He's 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 one of those things that uh, you you don't really enjoy watching it, and then at the end you're like, I guess that was okay. Jack Cohn is not a professional, so we don't complain him complain about him in a public forum, except <laughs> here right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just grouse about him to Ryan when when it's not uh, online in front of other people. Well, and the thing is, is like every time I'm just like I'm really annoyed by this thing, and and then you guys are like you're wrong, and I'm like I probably, but I don't enjoy watching it. I did. I have enjoyed that. I I have to say, I've enjoyed it that. Certainly does well, suck. Well, and, and Ryan doesn't actually really care if he enjoys watching it or not. He just inc- he just cares about whether or not it was efficient. Ryan watches Ryan watches Badger football games with nipple clamps on. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, uh, John Heyman tweeted that the Brewers are looking to re-sign Yasmani Grandal, Mike Mustakis. Uh, and we'll look again at the starting pitching market. So that sounds like they're going to try to sign everything this offseason. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> of course they are. They're gonna they're gonna sign both hitters and pitchers, <laughs> both kinds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what the hell does that mean, JP? It means John Heyman needed to tweet something out. I mean, it was this Is came he contractually out of, obligated. Well, this came out of the GM meetings, so clearly he talked to somebody, and you can just picture how this conversation went. So, uh, do you want to bring back Yasmani Grandal, and Mike Moustakis, and? whoever was with the Brewers saying, yeah, we'd, we'd like to. Yes, That'd be we, great. Yes, we would like all the good players. What about what about starting pitching? Yep, we're looking at that too. Like, you could just kind of picture how this would go. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not nothing. The idea that if they were not interested in Yasmani Grandal, if they thought, okay, this is going to get away from us and there's no chance, they would probably try to distance themselves a little bit from it. And they're not. They're, they're being... Yeah. Okay, with they're, it. So they're going to try. Uh, whether or not that means they're going to get it, who knows? There's no way that Yes Money Grundahl or Mike Mustakis is going to be outside the realm of possibility for the Brewers to to sign. And ultimately, they are going to sign anybody that they feel is right. And I mean, it's going to be the exact. It's going to go into you know the 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 winter meetings, which you know less and less happens at the winter meetings these days, which is kind of annoying. I used to really enjoy the winter meetings a lot. Now I find them kind of boring, but. I just want like really weird three team trades coming out of the winter meetings at like two o'clock in the morning. And I don't feel like that's too much to ask. It's not, but it just doesn't happen anymore. 
No, you used to have like stories of like Ken Rosenthal at four thirty in the morning breaking something, and everyone's like, he hasn't been sleeping. He's sitting on the wall, like he's sitting next to the wall with his phone plugged in, texting away, and it's like five o'clock in the morning. And I and I miss that. Uh, but ultimately, what you're going to hear during the winter meetings is that the brewers are open to any and all options are and are exploring the market for both relievers and starters and hitters and trades. Well, we did talk about this a little bit on the minor league podcast. I brought it up to you, JP, and I think we should talk about it again here. Uh, Will Smith did sign a contract. So we have our first big free agent signing of the offseason. Well, I mean, he got like three no. years, 42 million. Yeah. What is interesting about this? He got three years. It was 42, 42, I thought it was 30. No, no, no. It was, no, it was, was, it, was, it, was 42? it was 30. It was 30. It was 39 million with a $1 million buyout. Okay. Okay. I guess what's interesting about this for the brewers is, you know, I think everybody likes to see Pomerantz back if possible, but what kind of effect does this have on his market? I have no idea. The weirdest thing about something like Will Smith is, well, is two things. Number one, Atlanta has already said they're going to keep Mark Melanson as the, the as the closer, and they're going to use him as kind of a high leverage piece, maybe a multi inning piece, to be able to maximize him as much as possible. But what ended up happening was basically Will Smith's agent went to a bunch of different um, went to all of these different teams, and they actually used the qualifying offer as leverage, which I haven't really heard of players doing. And they basically said, if you want Will Smith, if you want my my client, if you don't give us the multi multi year deal we want now, he's going to take a qualifying offer and he's not available. Yeah, that was and really interesting. When we talked about this on Thursday night, I was floored because I had not heard that. And that is that is a wonderful way to try to flip this on its head. Now, not every player is going to be able to do this, but it was pretty cool that that Will Smith was able to take this thing, which was meant to depress his market and actually use it as a cudgel against the teams. That was well awesome. Kind of. Right. Because there's still this thing where his, the draft pick compensation is going to be factored into his compensation. Right. So he probably would have made more than three for thirty nine to three for 40 on the open market without any kind of compensation attached to his name. So that's why I think it's a little bit difficult to figure out what this means for Drew Pomeranz, because it's not just like a free and open signing. Uh, but I do think that, you know, I was saying that I thought I don't remember what I I said. It was something like I predicted like three for 35 or something like that for, for Pomeranz. I don't remember what I said. I'll just make up a number. Sure. Three for three for 35. That would be a pretty hefty contract for a guy who has not that much track record of being as good as he was for the Brewers to do what he does are, for the Brewers. I think you are extremely uh, working on 2012 numbers about relievers. Maybe a little bit, but I mean, you're talking about a fairly short sample size for Pomeranz and he does have the health issues going back away. So every single pitcher is going to have health issues. It's true. And I mean, you had, and you had, uh, you had Adam Ottavino get basically three for 30 and he had been coming off of this 2017 in which he had a five Oh six ERA. And it's not like he was sitting out there without too many injuries. So does that, does that kind of set a market then for potentially Pomerantz where we look at what Ottavino got and then say, okay, we'll take a little bit off of that and maybe Pomerantz no, gets. I don't know. I don't think there's any way that you would get less than what you got for, for somebody like Ottavino. Pomerantz can still start. He's going to go multiple innings where Ottavino's not going to be able to do that. And he's coming off of uh, he's coming off of uh, a season in which he was able to show that he can handle multiple 
multiple guys. And if you are a lefty who can show that you can handle both lefties and righties, I think out of the bullpen, that's probably more valuable than it was a year ago if you were not worrying about the three batter thing. That's a good point. Okay. So uh, I guess anything else this week we want to talk about? We should should do this Brian Polkowski question. You want to talk about batting coaches? Yeah, we should. Well, it was a Patreon question, so we really should make sure we take care of our Patreon sponsors. Okay. Last question here. This is a Patreon question from Brian Polakowski. Adam McKelvey tweeted, obviously, new Brewers assistant hitting coach Jacob Cruz is excited to work with the likes of Christian Yelich and Kesson Hira. Who wouldn't? But he mentioned another player uh, more than any other, and that was Orlando Arcia. I think there's an all-star in there. Is there much hope left for Arcia? Is this a coach just kind of talking about, like, I have confidence in a guy trying to hope that he can get something out of him? Or do you think uh, Arcia can still be the hitter I think everybody hoped he could be, JP? Well, I don't think that if Orlando Arcia was going to be an all-star, it was going to be on the strength of his bat. So, I don't. Well, but his bat was supposed to be good enough. Like, he wasn't supposed to be a sub-replacement type hitter. Like, yeah, yeah. You, 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 you were talking about a guy who maybe hit with like hemp, uh, hit with empty average. Yeah. Well, I think if you're trying to say that, like, is Jacob Cruz saying like I can make his bat good enough? Like, yeah, maybe. I I would imagine that I wouldn't take much into it. Okay, so I'm going to take the opposite point on this because I think it does mean something that he singled out Arcia and said that he still believes and he thinks that there's still like offensive potential to be unlocked there. And I think it means something for one very specific reason. That's because with him saying this, I think it makes it even less likely. And I already thought it was fairly unlikely that RCA would be non-tendered or traded this offseason. I think when somebody comes in and puts a stake down like this and says, I believe in RCA, I believe that we can do this. I believe that we can make him a much better hitter than what he's been. That, that is going to impact what the front office does and it shows you the direction that things are heading i don't think if he got the sense what if he's just trying to pump his value before they trade arcia yeah i don't think so i think that this oh yours is the only legitimate answer and everything else is crazy speculation on on overreacting to some like fluff piece Mm-hmm. It's definitely it's definitely the good thing and not the uh, not the thing that Steve says based on nothing. Right. Hey, person whose position exists only to be <laughs> fired. Tell me what you think, well, and we will basically live on this is hope for the 2019 I think or it, 2020. Season. I think it means that Orlando RC is going to be tendered, and I think that they're going to give this another shot this year. I think that I think that Orlando Arcia was always going to be tendered. I think he doesn't have any trade value, and I think he was always going to be on the team, regardless of what Jacob Cruz had to say. And I also find it really strange that an assistant hitting coach is going to come in and then be the one that completely overhauls everything and say that, well, the the regular hitting coach doesn't really know what he's doing, but we're going to go get an assistant coach who thinks he can know how to fix, you know, Orlando Arcia and bring him in. He's the assistant to the hitting coach, which is great. <laughs> you know, but he like, really carries his weight there. I was going to say, like, Jacob Cruz worked with the Brewers hitting coach before and, like, had worked with them in the minors. So I would imagine that they have similar philosophies on the vast majority of these. So things. he already and failed on Orlando Arcia, and now we get to see him <laughs> fail again. You are so That's, negative. You are such a uh, negative presence. You just so what I will, complain, what complain, I will complain. Say, What I will say is, ultimately, I'm not exactly sure what else he was supposed to say. Um, he didn't have to go out of his way to talk up Orlando Arcia. This is my point. 
He didn't have to go out of his way to do that. He did. He chose to go out of his way to talk him up. Well, they already didn't what if the retain was- Hernan Perez, so he couldn't say, well, I'm going to turn Hernan Perez in his multi-positional I mean, glove into an all-star. He's going to say, like, and what it, What if he was asked, what do you think about Orlando Arcia? What was he going to say? Like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. No. Guys do sometimes say, oh, yeah, I, I, then, I, and- I like him. I think we can work with him. Yeah. I mean, uh, ultimately what you're going in and you're going into a new position in which you're trying to build relationships with a bunch of people that you have not worked with before. I think it is your best intention to go in and try to pump up absolutely everybody so you can walk in and have the best relationship possible with all of your new players who are reading about their new their new coach coming. When Orlando Arcia has a big breakout in 2020, I will be here to strut and crow about this very yeah. topic well, discussion. That. That's great. I really look forward to your conversations about your early 2019 uh, opinions about Ryan Braun's launch angle, uh, about what you think that, uh, what's going to happen with uh, Orlando Arcia and his breakout that was going to happen in 2019 as well, because you still thought something was in there. I really look forward to all of that coming on back so we can review it. You can keep a list and then we can discuss it. I do have all the old episodes like archived. If you want uh-huh. me to just like pull your old arguments and basically we can recycle it for the uh, end of the year. <laughs> do you want to do that? Think- happy, happy holidays. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, is like, I don't think Orlando Arcia is absolutely just a, a lost commodity. I just think that the Brewers would be foolish to not have any other option at shortstop. No, and they will need to, they have to bring in not just at shortstop, but they need to bring in some like right-handed power bats who can play shortstop, third base. They need all that regardless. Well, so. and that's why I said last year that they needed to go get somebody like a Strubel Cabrera. Which, yeah. And he could have been an option, but the Nationals got to him first. So, yeah. So, okay. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Um, I guess we'll kind of wrap it up. Any other topics you want to cover? No, I think well, that does I, it. We pretty much got it. I just wanted to say thanks to everybody who said nice things about my BP article this week. I appreciate it. Uh, And thanks to everybody who took time to read it. If you did enjoy it, I know that it was free on Baseball Prospectus, uh, which was fantastic of them to not put it behind the paywall. But if you enjoyed it, please consider uh, looking at what else BP has to offer and consider subscribing to it because, um, you know, they do really good work there and not just because, you know, I work there. And what was the name of the article again? Uh, it was called The Visible Hand of the Baseball Economy. So it's a little bit long, uh, but I uh, appreciate everybody that took some time to read it. And hopefully it wasn't utterly depressing. Um, though I was Steve expecting it, made- it to be more depressing based on what you said to me. And I, I read well, it and I was like, oh, no, I, this all makes sense. I, I was going to say, it, it was mostly because Steve said it made him sad. Yeah, and then he asked that. me to he sent he asked me to send him a gif of a uh, of a puppy so i did that too well, that's just because there were no pictures in the article oh. <laughs> I, I need more pictures more pictures and animated gifs it's a buzzfeedification of online of journalism <laughs> yeah without that i just can't make it through so anyways hey check that article out on bp again it's not behind the paywall and then also you can join our patreon by visiting patreon.com slash mke tailgate patrons at the ball and glove level uh receive the monthly minor league extra podcast as always follow us on twitter at mke tailgate submit questions to milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com or through our facebook page for uh milwaukee's tailgate podcast network uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and wherever else you listen to podcasts and leave reviews because that helps people find the podcast. Thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. <laughs>